Many of you know that I went to college at the great Louisiana State University. And we have something there called football. I don't know if you've heard about that in North Carolina, but we play a game down there called football. And uh, I loved going to football games at LSU. It is a unique thing to go to a game with 100,000 people all collectively cheering on the same team. I also had the opportunity to go to a couple of road games where the environment was a bit different. One year, my family and I got to go to the LSU-Arkansas game, which that year was held in Little Rock. And we immediately noticed some significant differences between Baton Rouge and Little Rock. Instead of a sea of purple and gold, there was a ton of red and white. Instead of people cheering with you, there were crowds of people cheering against you, talking about pigs and calling hogs. It was an interesting feeling to be so out of place, to be so noticeably different, and to have people notice how noticeably different you were and respond to you, to have people ridicule you because of the school you were representing or what you were wearing, who you were cheering. One moment stands out in particular. At the end of the first half, LSU was leading the game. And on a last second kind of Hail Mary attempt, Arkansas scores like a 50 or 60 yard touchdown. And everyone around us is screaming enthusiastically while we are sitting there in our shame. We could not have felt more out of place, but it was all in good fun. And that experience came to my mind this week as I was studying our passage in Matthew chapter 10. And here's why. Because it's the closest thing that I have experienced to what Jesus says may happen to those who follow Christ. And I'm grateful for that because there are many who could write a very different introduction to this sermon. Very, uh, there are many who could relate very differently to the passage that we have before us today. In our passage, Jesus tells his disciples that there is a cost to following him. There's a cost to, to wearing his name. There's a cost to, to putting on that Jesus jersey because he is sending us as his disciples into foreign lands, into hostile territory. Church family, when you follow Jesus, when you bear his name, you should be and you will be noticeably different. And unfortunately, the reaction to that noticeable difference will not often be good-natured banter. Sometimes it will be demonic. Sometimes it will be evil. You see, as the, the kingdom of God expands, and it will, as the gospel advances, and it will, disciples of Jesus will meet all kinds of resistance. And Jesus and his graciousness to us wants his disciples then and today to know this and to count the cost and to trust that whatever our faithfulness costs us in this life, we will gain so much more in the life to come. Yes, church, we are to consider the cost, but we are to rest in the reward, to rest in the blessing of being approved 
by God. Here's the ultimate truth that Jesus wants us to grasp as his people today. Being eternally approved by God is worth being temporarily rejected by men. Whatever we lose in man's rejection, we will reap all the more in God's approval. Today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 42, but we're going to begin by reading verses 16 to 33 to consider this warning and encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the word of God says. Behold, I am sending you out. And remember, he's talking to the apostles. We've just looked at that in verses 5 to 15. And he's saying to them, I'm sending you out, but I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children rise up against their parents and have them put to death. Aren't you grateful I didn't preach this last week on Mother's Day? (laughs) And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, you flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes in his his resurrected state. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his own household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore, You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now a transition has clearly taken place in Christ's teaching to his his disciples, to his apostles. He's moved from talking about their immediate ministry in the region of Galilee to the Jewish people, to now discussing the nature of their future ministry. Remember, in verse 5 of chapter 10, Jesus sent his disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. That's where they are to begin. But in verse 18, we can see that at some point, their ministry will expand. An expansion that's fully realized in the great commission of Matthew chapter 28, wherein Jesus commands us as his disciples to go to the ends of the earth, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as this ministry expands, 
so will the cost. What was true in the life of Jesus will be true in the life of all who follow him until that glorious day when he returns a second time to take us home. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. When you carry my name, and friends, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be a little Christ. That's what it means to carry the gospel. We are bearing, we are proclaiming the name above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you carry my name, you will be what? Hated. Hated. Persecuted. But if you endure, you will be saved. I want, you to, I want you to hear this this morning. I want us to be crystal clear about what Jesus is saying. Friends, there is a cost to following Jesus. It's not something we always like to talk about in the American church. Usually you don't preach a message like this to fill the pews. It's difficult to hear. It's, it's difficult to, to read and to say. But we must speak of it. If we are going to remain faithful as the church, to be joy-filled and not bitter, to know the reality of the commitment that we are making to follow Christ. There is a cost to following Jesus, but there is also tremendous blessing. There is provision in the midst of the cost, and we need to be aware of both, Jesus says. Don't walk into this lightly. Don't, don't follow after me without considering what it means to walk in my steps, to drink of this cup. But no, if you walk in faithfulness, I will be faithful to you. And you will experience that in ways that will reinforce your faith in me, that will reinforce your delight in me. And that will be realized And that glorious day when I call you home. So church family, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going, to, we're going to consider the cost. We want you to walk after Jesus with your eyes wide open. Because some people believe if there's any hardship in their life, it must be because I'm not following Jesus well. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, you may be experiencing more hardship because of your faithfulness. You need to know this. But you also need to Remember the promise that in that he is with you. There's blessing that will sustain you. Some of that blessing you're going to receive here and experience here. Some of that blessing will be realized when you stand before him face to face. But be mindful of it. So you can see that the, the reward is greater than the cost. So let's begin by considering the cost. And I should just take a moment to give a note of gratitude to Dr. John Piper, whose work on this passage helped me see it more clearly, to be able to express the fullness of the cost and the fullness of the reward for our mutual benefit this morning. There are seven costs, seven, that I think Jesus articulates here for us to be aware of as we follow Jesus. Let's Let's look at these seven. Firstly, there's the potential cost of bodily harm. And Jesus mentions this in verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts 
and flog you in their synagogues. It is possible that because of your faith in Jesus, you could be beaten. You could have your body broken in his name. The second one Jesus mentions is in verse 18. There's the potential cost of government oppression. Jesus says, you will be dragged before governors. You'll be dragged before kings for my sake, to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. If you follow Christ and it threatens the power structure of a particular government, they may move against you. You could experience injustice by the hands of your own leaders just become because you proclaim that Jesus is king and there's no power greater than him. The third cost Jesus mentions is in verse 21. The cost of family rejection. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Notice how the cost is increasing here. It's more personal. It's possible you won't just be rejected by strangers or threatened by a government. You could be rejected and threatened by your own family by people who are supposed to love you. They could now hate you because of your love for Jesus. Can you imagine a scenario where a father would put his child to death because of faith in Christ? Our parents would rise up, our children would rise up against their parents? The fourth cost Jesus mentions, verse 22, is the cost of societal hatred. You will be hated by all, all for my name's sake. There will be a general disdain amongst our neighbors toward the people of God, especially as we move more toward his second coming, when our message and the truth of the gospel begins to confront the idolatry of their hearts and they disdain the things of God. They have a disdain for God. And that disdain is then placed upon the people of God. The fifth cost Jesus mentions is the cost of removal from a town. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, you flee to the next. You could be unwelcome in certain cities because of your commitment to Jesus. You could be literally run out of town. Sixth, the potential cost of having your name slandered because of your association with Jesus. Verse 25, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, another name for Satan, how much more will they align or malign those of his household? Is there any greater offense than calling the son of God, the perfect image of the father, his enemy? And they slandered his name, then there's a great likelihood they would slander our names as well. And the seventh cost, potentially the highest cost, the cost of losing your life. Verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. They cannot kill the soul, but they can kill the body. They can take your life. Friends, do you feel the weight of these costs? 
It's heavy. What Jesus is asking us to consider as we follow after him. You know, it'd be easy for us to try to dismiss this warning or try to explain it away. Some might be thinking to themselves, well, Jared, maybe this is one of those moments where Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. Maybe he's just exaggerating the point here to to drive it into our heads. But friends, you need to know This is no exaggeration. The teaching of this text is not hyperbole because the testimony of the church from this time forward, from the book of Acts to our own present day, have proven the words of Christ true. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul for a moment. You can read about this in the the book of Acts and in his epistles that he writes in the New Testament. He was beaten and imprisoned. Paul experienced grave injustice at the hands of those in institutional power in government, even though he was a Roman citizen. He was abandoned by many close to him because of his work on behalf of Christ. He went into towns and was run out of them. I was thinking earlier this week about Paul's encounter in the city of Thessalonica, which is recorded in verse in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Let me just read this for you, the first 10 verses of Acts 17, to consider how many of these things that Jesus talks to us about happen in the life of Paul. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, this is Paul and Silas, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary For the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the promised Messiah. And some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. As did a great many of the devout Greeks. And not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. And they set the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason, who was hosting him, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And it wasn't to celebrate them. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, what did they do? They went into the Jewish synagogue and began preaching. And if you continue to read here, what's interesting is the Thessalonican authorities hear that Paul and Silas are in Berea and they say, that's not far enough. They're still too close. And they go to Berea and they run them out of Berea. Jesus said this would happen. And it's happened in the life of Paul. Paul's name was consistently attacked. Usually because of the hardships he faced. How could Paul be an apostle of Jesus Christ if he's always in prison? How could Paul be an apostle of Jesus Christ if he's experiencing these hardships? And although we don't know for sure, 
Paul likely died for his faith. And the experience of Paul has been echoed throughout the history of the church. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world today that will probably be, be beaten and imprisoned just for gathering to worship Jesus. There are governments, some represented by the flags in this room, that are so threatened by the Christian message, they require their flags and pictures of their government leaders to be hung on the wall just so you don't get any crazy ideas. They require it. Families are being divided. I read a story in one of the commentaries I was looking at preparing for this sermon of a wife who was so upset that her husband converted to Christianity that she took broken glass, ground it up, put it in his food, and killed him. And she was celebrated for it. Her community celebrated her for murdering her husband. And church family, in terms of societal hatred, aren't we seeing a little bit of that fruit in our own time? This past week, some worship services, Christian worship services, were interrupted by protesters because of our commitment to protecting the unborn, for promoting life. There are places in the United States, cities, that are working against churches because of their biblical convictions regarding gender and sexuality. And globally, according to, according to Open Doors, which is a ministry that looks at these things, 13 Christians die every day on average for their faith. 400 Christians a month, 5,000 Christians a year. This is no exaggeration. The ministry of the gospel has expanded. The kingdom of God is advancing. But so is the cost. And we should consider that. And to know that it has a purpose, this cost. There's a purpose to it. Look at verses 34 to 39 in Matthew 10. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, Jared, what is Jesus saying here? That seems counter to some of the things he's already proclaimed. Did he come to bring peace? Well, listen. Christ is saying that there is a dividing happening, a separating, a, a proving, a work of identification through, through which Jesus will show us who are truly his. That's the point of the sword language. I'm going to separate true followers of Jesus from those who just pretend, or the true people of God from those who are not truly part of his people. We're answering the question, who are actually disciples of Christ? Those who are willing to pay the price. Those who are willing to endure, they are the true family of God and they are your true family as part of the people of God. Listen, Jesus will bring peace one day at his second coming, but only after he's brought judgment because you can't have peace 
unless you deal with the source of conflict, unless you deal with the source of brokenness. And Christ will do both. But between those two comings, his first and his second, there is a work of redemption happening of which we are a part through which God will form a new people of faith and perseverance for his glory. And here's the promise. For those who remain steadfast, for those who endure, blessings await. Blessings both here in the midst of this work and hereafter that will be ours with God forever. And there's seven blessings I want to draw our attention to as well to counteract these seven costs, to to rightly situate the seven costs. The first blessing, the blessing of being used in God's kingdom work. Isn't it incredible that we are sent ones? As disciples, we are sent in God's glorious providence, And his wonderful wisdom, he has chosen to use broken, redeemed vessels to be his instrument of the gospel to the nations. Friends, we have been rescued from sin. We have been called from death to life, from darkness to light. And that transformative work has purpose in our lives. We are to, to take that gospel that God used to save us and proclaim it to the ends of the earth. How fortunate are we to be able to go to people who have never heard Jesus and tell them, can I, can I tell you how much God loves you? Can I tell you that he sent his son into this world to live the perfect sinless life, to take your place up on the cross, to die the death that you deserve, to bear and to wear the wrath that was for you so that in his resurrection, you could have access to eternal and abundant life. It's amazing to me that God would use me to declare that. That God would allow us to be a part of that eternity-altering work. Friends, it's a blessing to be ministers of the gospel. It's a blessing to be ministers of reconciliation. We got good news that we must proclaim. The second blessing that Jesus mentions is the blessing of the empowerment of the Spirit. In verses 19 and 20, that as we are sent, we are empowered. And these verses... It's one of the first times that we hear about the nature of the work of the Spirit on those who have been baptized with the Spirit. It's a reminder that God is still with us. He is Emmanuel with us. The promise of the Great Commission, not just that we go, but behold, Jesus says, I will be with you until the end of the age. The Spirit allows us to remember and to experience the reality that God is with us. Look at verses 19 and 20. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks through you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the the privilege or 
the experience of this, but it's an overwhelming thing to be in a moment of difficulty, a moment where you don't know what to say and all of a sudden words start coming out of your mouth that you have no business saying that represent the wisdom of God. It's an incredible thing to feel the spirit of God working in your life, taking advantage of those things you've been learning, that library of of scripture that you've been storing in your mind and letting it come forth to accomplish God's purposes. And it's so encouraging in those moments to know that when I did not know what to do, God was there and he knew what to do. It strengthens your faith to experience God in that way. What a blessing. The third blessing Jesus mentions is the blessing of eternal salvation. He mentions this in verses 22 and 28. Jesus says, You will be hated for my name's sake, but for the one who endures to the end, you're going to be saved. Verse 28, Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in a place called hell. Praise the Lord, the blessing of the Lord that we are freed from the judgment of God where our bodies will be destroyed eternally in a place called hell. We've been saved from that through the glorious gospel of Jesus. Listen, you may experience the wrath of man as you follow Christ, but there's a limit to that wrath. There's only so much that men can do. There's only so much this world can do. And if you endure, you'll be freed from a greater wrath. The wrath of God that is poured out upon all those who reject God, who rebel against God. And not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. Let them take your body. God's going to give you a better one anyway. You trust the one who can give you life. True life. The fourth blessing Jesus mentions, the blessing of being a part of Jesus' household. Now, we've already seen that Jesus says there's going to be families divided, households divided. But listen, friends, whatever rejection we have experienced here is overcome by the fact that we have been accepted into a greater family. Verse 25. Jesus says, let me go back up. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You could lose your family as you follow after Christ. But hear me this morning, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus and we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the most high God and no one can take that away from us. The fifth blessing, the blessing of knowing that God will reveal all things. Verse 26 Have no fear. Have no fear. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Listen, people may spread lies about Jesus or about us as his followers. People may slander our names, but God knows. 
and God will reveal in his time. We will be vindicated. In fact, I want you to think about this. This is the promise of Revelation, that right now, God is collecting and storing all the prayers of the persecuted saints. And he will unleash them as an aroma to him, as he brings justice upon the earth, as he judges all of those who have persecuted his people. One day, listen to this promise, one day the blinding work of sin will be removed and every eye will see the reality of who Christ is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there will be no denying, no denying the rightful place of Christ. The sixth blessing that Jesus mentions is the blessing of experiencing God's sovereign and providential care. You see this in verses 29 to 31 and then 40 to 42. And these moments of difficulty, these moments of hardship, we have the opportunity to see that God is everything he promised he would be. We get to see his faithfulness on display. Remember how he sent out his apostles. He says, verse 8 of chapter 10, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, so give without pay. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not, let your peace return to you. Jesus is sending out his disciples in a way that demands faith. You go out and trust that I'm going to provide for you. And friends, he provides. He provides. It's amazing how he takes care of those that he sends. Sometimes miraculously, as we see him bring manna down from heaven, but oftentimes through his people, people who are worthy and recognize the work of God and take care of those who are sent. Look at the end of chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the, the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Think about the beauty of God's people here. Some of us are sent. Some of us into all of us are sent. But some of us are sent in particular ways to very difficult places. And what God's saying here is that the people of God, God will use them to be the provision for those who are sent into these difficult places. As a reminder that God is with them, that God is providing for them. So think as, as we partner with all of our missionaries, with the International Mission Board, with the North American Mission Board, we are being evidences of God's continued faithfulness to his people. And finally, a blessing we just sung about earlier. We have the blessing of being advocated for by Jesus to God. We have an advocate in King Jesus. Look at verse 32. 
Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. I want you to consider that right now at this moment, the resurrected Lord Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father advocating for us, holding us fast in our faith. Friends, while we may be rejected temporarily by men, you know that you are eternally accepted by God in Christ. And he is advocating for you right now, sustaining your saving faith right now, and will do so for all of eternity. Amen. You can't lose your salvation because it is Jesus who holds you, and he's not going to let go. Consider the cost. Oh, but let's also rest in these blessings. And do we believe that these blessings are greater than the cost? Will we allow these promises of Jesus to sustain us as we follow him, even when it's hard? Because it's only going to get harder. Let's also remember there's a cost to not following Jesus as well. Verse 33. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. For those that don't follow Jesus, who don't acknowledge his lordship, who deny him, they will be denied on the day of judgment. They may have feared man who can take the body, but they did not properly fear God who can also kill the soul. If you don't step into the salvation of Christ, if you don't follow Jesus, you will be isolated, desperate, impoverished, rejected, not for a moment, but for all of eternity. Let's consider that cost as well. And the gift of salvation that God has given us in Jesus. How should we respond this morning to this weighty, difficult, but important text that Jesus teaches us in? Let me just offer four quick responses to us. Firstly, let's follow Jesus. Where else would you turn? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man, no woman gets to the Father except through him. In Jesus is the wellspring of eternal life. In Jesus is the bread that will cause us to never hunger again. In Jesus is the water that will allow us to never thirst again. Let's follow Christ. Eyes wide open, right? We know that it's costly because we are in a war. We are in a battle. Between two kingdoms. Now we know who the victor is. But that war is still waging. There will be a cost to following Jesus. But let's follow him. And if you've never given your life to Christ. If you don't know where you stand before a holy and righteous God. I pray that today will be the day. That you would identify with Jesus. Like these who testified earlier today in baptism. That you would give your life to Christ. 
by confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved. Repent and believe into salvation and experience the joy and the life that are worth any loss this world could throw at us. Let's follow Jesus. And church family, let's follow Jesus in a costly way. Don't you want to be a part of a church that the enemy is concerned about? Don't you want to be a part of a people that makes the foundations of hell shake? Because we are seeing lives transformed for the glory of God, by the, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church that Satan's concerned about and comes after. Because we're doing something of significance. Let's be bold. Let's take risks. Let's not just get comfortable. Let's engage for the sake of the gospel. And as those costs come, because as our ministry expands, so will the cost. Let's rest in the blessings that God gives us in Christ. Because it is better. And let's remember that one day, this struggle will come to an end. And our resurrected Lord will return and take us home. And let's keep our hearts, our eyes on that promise, on that day, because that will sustain us. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Consider how to respond to this weighty truth from Christ. Do you know him? Are you following him? Will you be faithful to the end? Because salvation awaits the faithful disciple of Jesus. And remember, it's he that sustains you, not your own work, not your own ability. Jesus. Let's let the difficult times that are gonna come our way prove that we are a part of the people of God. And be faithful until the Lord calls us home. Father, would you find us to be a faithful people? Strengthen us. Resolve us for the sake of the gospel, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.